This episode may contain adult themes and language and does contain spoilers for Ahsoka, Star Wars Rebels and Rogue One. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Ahsoka, Episode 3, Time to Fly and Episode 4, Fallen Jedi. My name is Adam Henning and I've been joined by a lightsaber-wielding droid. It's Neil Shepard. Once a rebel, always a rebel. <laughs> and you're definitely a rebel. How are you, Neil? You are right? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm absolutely loving the path that Ahsoka, as a show, is going on. Loads of amazing teasers, loads of awesome action, bit of droid-on-droid action in episode four. What's not to love? Yeah, absolutely. It has felt that these two episodes have been sort of more action heavy than plot, I would say. But I thoroughly enjoyed the action. I'm really enjoying the fight choreography in this show. I think Mm. it's excellent. And particularly seeing a droid in combat. Like, you know, C-3PO and R2-D2, very much sort of comedy double act, don't get involved too much in any sort of big combat stuff. But seeing Hu Yang fighting with his lightsabers, amazing stuff. Well, that was his training back in the Clone Wars. He was a professor for the Jedi younglings to teach them about lightsabers, about kyber crystals, how to build them, how to use them. And his training of Sabine at the beginning of episode three was just fantastic. Obviously reminiscent of Kenobi's training of Luke, particularly with kind of putting on the blind shield but also reminiscent of General Grievous with the forearms. And, yeah, instead of using a little kind of ball that was kind of like with Luke that was kind of floating around, he was using four different... They weren't real sabers. They were were like targets. And each one had slashes in it based on Sabine's slashes. And the white ones where she got the angle just right. And then there were other kind of ones where she got it really wrong. And yeah, it was just a fantastic reminiscent, but reinventing of Jedi training. Yeah, yeah there's definitely some nods to past scenes quite a few times, actually, throughout these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt the lightsaber training was part of that. I've written down Sabine versus Cup, Cup wins. I. I'll be honest, I can't really remember episode three that much. Okay, okay. So I think what you mean is Sabine is trying to... She's struggling with the fact that she doesn't feel that she has the force in her. And we see moments, particularly in battle, where where she does... Well, not in battle, but in training where she does. But she tries to move the cup on the table and it doesn't move. That's one of the Jedi powers that... She, I guess she wanted to assure her that she did have the force within her. However, not the case. Although we do see other evidence of her having the force in her. I mean, we're skipping. I'm, I'm Just while we're talking about Sabine, I think my favourite moment of these two episodes was in episode four, um, when she's having the fight with, with Shin, and, and Shin sort of is almost shocked because she doesn't have the ability to wield the force in the same way. But that enables her to use her Mandalorian weapons yeah. to knock her back off. So I quite enjoyed that. I, I like the combination in Sabine of the Mandalorian and the Jedi. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not quite the best of both worlds because, well, she's probably got the best of the Mandalorian world, but she she still doesn't quite have the best of the Jedi or Force-wielding world. But that's also interesting in that, pretty sure this was back in Episode 3, that they talk about the Force and Ahsoka says to her, the Force resides in all of us. Now, that, for me, started making me think, well, hold on, isn't the Force about Michelorians? I mean, isn't that the mumbo-jumbo that, that Lucas came up with with the prequels? But I like the idea of almost reinventing the Force and throwing the Michelorians, you know, in, in, into the past to be forgotten, into the fact that all of us have power inside ourselves. And if we believe and if we have strength and if we have focus, that we're all capable of achieving great things. Yeah, it's that thing of, of that being the sort of the life energy, right? And so that is in every living creature. But it's, you know, the Jedi are trained to be able to wield the Force and wield that energy in different ways. Yeah, and uh, I think it's Hu Yang who says that very few Mandalorians have become Jedi. And yet the first Mandalorian is one of Sabine's ancestors. So it's not completely unimaginable that she might be a Mandalorian. Plus, you know, the Darksaber ended up in her hands briefly before she passed it on to Bo-Katan. So it, it's not completely unbelievable within Star Wars canon. Alan, you said that it's heavier on action than plot, but I don't completely agree with that looking at the two episodes together because... I think there was a lot of plot. There's a lot more understanding as to the situation of the conflicts and the characters. And there, there was more hints about Ezra. There was uh, Jason was introduced, which we'll come to in time. And yeah, I actually thought it was great. And I thought the end of those two episodes, the end of episode four, has left us in a really exciting place. I thought it was a good good combination of the two in the first couple of episodes. For me, it just felt like I enjoyed the action scenes a lot. I'm still with Ahsoka as a show overall. But yeah, we had a video conference, didn't we, between Mon Mothma and Hera and uh, I've written Jono. I'm not sure if I've pronounced that right. But they're talking about Thrawn and Hera wants to send a task force to deal with it all. And she gets accused of using... New Republic resources for a personal rescue mission. Yeah, I think Shona is going to be a really interesting character coming up. When Hera said, were you ever in the war, Senator? And then she said, no, you just sat back and waited to see who came out on top because he wasn't in the war. I think that's foreshadowing an involvement by him as either a kind of secret imperialist loyalist that may have a link with Thrawn once Thrawn returns. But yeah, I think if uh, quite a lot of things were set up in that scene. Mm. Yeah, I mean, later on here, well, she tells Ahsoka and Sabine that she can't join the mission. And then in episode four has a change of mind and decides that she's going to go. Uh, taking Chopper and Jason with her, which didn't seem like particularly good parenting to me. Maybe she's not <laughs> planning on going back. <laughs> Well, the thing is, Jason wants to be a Jedi and has also been given the line so reminiscent of Star Wars, Mom, I've got a bad feeling. 
And I love that he didn't finish with about this. Jason's a really interesting character. He's basically Hera's son and the son of Kanan, who is a major character in Rebels. And he almost certainly would inherit his father's Jedi skills. He certainly hasn't inherited his mother's large green, I don't know what you'd call them, growths. Um, what, what, what would you call them? <laughs> I have no idea. But he, he, he's got his green hair from her. Let's, say, let's put it that way. Um, and I guess the rest of his looks from his dad. So there's a huge amount of history. Jason also appears at the end of, in the final for Rebels. I think we're going to see a lot more of him. Obviously, you know, Disney and Star Wars, they love cute. They love all of that. And the fact that Jason is, you know, almost best mates with Chopper. I think he's going to play a big part. And so therefore, he kind of has to accompany her. And it wouldn't surprise me if we end up seeing some Jedi skills come from him almost unexpectedly. I mean, as as a... A parent myself of a child who suffers from travel sickness, particularly in the <laughs> car. I kind of wanted when he said, "I have a bad feeling." I, I almost wanted Hera to just to pass him a sick bag. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's some uh, some nice moments between Ahsoka and Sabine in this third episode. She has some particular Jedi-like lines, such as "Talent is a factor, but training and focus defines success." I think another point where. One of them says, anger and frustration are quick to give power, but they also unbalance you. I'm not sure whether that's her or Hu Yang. There's some nice sort of guidance being given to Sabine around all of this stuff. And potentially that's going to be useful for her later on in the series. But yeah, we then get this spaceship battle and another classic Star Wars, uh, Woo, I Got One. Yeah, absolutely. I love this battle. So Ahsoka and Sabine get attacked by Shin and Marok with squadrons with them. They discover the hyperspace ring as they get closer to Cetos, where where Morgan is and where that ring is. Um, I, I actually love that space fight. And actually, Ahsoka and Sabine... That kind of partnership in the battle was very reminiscent of like Luke and Han in in the original trilogy, also of Ray and Finn in um, you know the sequels. That line of "I got one" should always be followed by a "Don't get cocky, kid." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, Ahsoka in space reminded me of Leia in Rise of Skywalker when she floats through space. I mean, there are a few kind of physics issues with when when they're in control in space and when they're just floating. But I don't know, I guess when on the ship, maybe Ahsoka's got like kind of magnetic shoes that stick to the craft. I don't know. Yeah, she's a bit of wing walking, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then the Purgles show up which I absolutely loved. I mean, they're, they're very kind of iconic of Rebels, kind of throughout, but, but particularly at the, in, in the final episode. But to see them, obviously CGI, but to see them in a grand scale on the way that we do, at one point, they fly past, or Sabine and Ahsoka fly past one of their eyes, and it's almost like the Purgles 
realize that here's a person who we've kind of taken away and they basically help them. They block Shin, they allow Ahsoka and Sabine to escape. And yeah, I, I thought that whole sequence ended up brilliantly. And yes, then they escape and then they end up landing on Cetos. Yeah, because they, they've been hit by some stuff. So uh, Sabine's having to fix things whilst Ahsoka's yeah. outside the spaceship and doing all of that. Uh, it's like the Purgle comes to the rescue. And I do think we will see the Purgle again. And I think there will also be a important contribution to the storyline because they were in certainly in season four of rebels and already they're a large part with the hyperspace even hyper time powers that they have in this and in episode four when balen and morgan etc are all standing on the cliffs they're looking up into the clouds and you can hear the purgles you don't see them but you can hear them there and I even, I heard a theory, so I'm not going to claim it's my own. But at the end of episode four, Morgan, accompanied by Sabine and Balen, etc., all jump to where they think Thrawn and Ezra are. And maybe because the map's been destroyed, Balen said, we're not going to let anyone follow us. Maybe Hera, Soka, etc., they will all get there via the Purgles. On the Purgle Express. Yes. <laughs> With the large bottomed hostess. <laughs> Can't believe it. It certainly feels like we've been introduced to them in, in this episode and that they're going to play a part in the series later on, definitely. Yeah. There's some nice comedy from Hu Yang. Sort of earlier on he's talking about following standard Jedi mission protocol. And there's a moment where he gets uh he gets hit, doesn't he? Or he's out out for the count, and then he wakes up and says, "Oh, what did I miss?" And someone says, "Oh, we almost died." And it's like, "Oh, standard mission protocol and standard operating procedure." <laughs> this is what Jedi do. So yeah, they land without full capabilities on their craft, and they're basically stuck. But they land very, very close to on Cetos to Morgan's like base as such, which they realize. And then the episode really ends with Balen saying, "Hunt them down." Are they are they're like assault droids, aren't they? These. I don't think all of them are droids. Certainly, the one that attacks Yu Yang um, at the beginning of episode four. He's well, he it. Is definitely a droid. You know, yeah. you get droid fighting droid, which I really enjoyed because I don't think we've seen that before, as you said. But I do think the party that have gone out with weapons, I kind of get the feeling that they're may not be human, but that they're that they're not droids. Let's move into episode four then. I really enjoyed the opening for this. We get silent opening credits. Mm. I mean, all you can really hear is the crackling on the ship as Hu Yang's trying to fix the ship they can't reach Hera got no communications and I think uh, Ahsoka says the enemy has the map and the means to get where they want to go just before we move on to the potential consequences of, of what she says opening credits realise that Sabine's helmet in the opening credits 
is always in red. And I think that's significant, particularly with decisions she makes near the end of this episode. Well, this is the big conflict of the episode, isn't it? Because what Ahsoka's saying is we've got a difficult choice ahead of us. If we can't make the journey, then no one should. So in order to stop Thrawn from coming back, we may have to sacrifice Ezra, which is what Ezra did, right? He sacrificed yeah. himself to remove Thrawn from the, the chessboard, if you like. And we've seen those sacrifices throughout Star Wars. Kanan. Kanan sacrificed himself for Hera. He died. He kept back a huge explosion to be able to get Hera and Sabine and Ezra and all the rest of them out of the area before eventually engulf him. So, you know, kind of sacrifice is kind of at the heart, certainly of a lot of the heroes in, you know, in this saga. It's interesting because I've, I've now finished uh, season one of Rebels. And obviously, I watched... sorry if I just spoiled something for no, you. No, no, obviously, I knew because I'd watched all of the key Ahsoka episodes in Rebels. So I knew that Kanan had died. And obviously, and I knew what happened to Ezra at the end of it. But there is an episode in season one which foreshadows all of that really, really brilliantly, where Kanan is holding them off so they can all escape and he gets captured. But he's talking to Ezra about having to make difficult decisions at a certain times. So it feels like that's very much sort of setting up what inevitably happens to. Not inevitably, but what ends up happening to both Kanan and Ezra. Ezra was very much Kanan's, I guess, Padawan, even though Kanan also, like Ahsoka and like Balan, was no longer a Jedi. I mean, officially part of the Jedi Order. And it's almost like Ezra learned that from him. Ezra, as a word, means help or helpful in Hebrew. And we all know how much... Well, not just Lucas, for alone, like, like the whole, you know, Star Wars lot of creatives um, love using little hints like that. Yeah. And his last name is Bridger. So hopeful bridge. I mean, come on. That I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure that they thought about, maybe they did, you know, over a decade ago when they made the first series of Rebels and named him. But yeah, hopeful bridge. And, you know, that fits in very much with what is trying to be achieved right now. Balin then sends Shin and Marok to, to delay Ahsoka. He sent one set of troops off already, and then he sends both of them. He's keen to get moving soon. And I wonder whether that was through through fear or just experience, knowing that these were dangerous people. We then get a scene with Ahsoka and Sabine. She's frantically searching for something. And Ahsoka's like, you know, should should I be worried? And I was like, we've, we've just had this conversation, haven't we? Can I trust you? I felt a little bit repetitive at that moment. Okay, so the title is The Fallen Jedi. Who do you think that reference is? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't well, I, I think ultimately by the end, it's meant to reference Sabine. <laughs> but it could also equally, I mean, physically falling is Ahsoka at the end of the episode. Absolutely. You've also got Balan and probably the biggest fallen Jedi in the whole Star Wars universe. Darth Vader. Well, Anakin. Anakin. Yeah. 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 Who, who appears right at the end. Mm. So, yeah, there's so many different people that that title could refer to. I mean, Marok, you know, he, he falls as well, doesn't he? <laughs> he's not a Jedi, though. Well, I well, suppose he might be. He's an Inquisitor. But also when he dies... There's this kind of green smoke and watching it with subtitles, like the sound of a thousand hisses, almost like he's not 
what we keep saying he doesn't have to be a he but the maroc isn't a a physical person you know could be something that the witches you know the night sisters have created i think it is very clear though that he's definitely not ezra in disguise yeah that was the rumor that was going around was that maroc was was ezra but i think that's we can pretty much rule that out now you were talking earlier about the conversation at the beginning of episode four where the dilemma is set up at the beginning of episode four is that actually is it better to destroy the map and not allow anyone to get hold of Thrawn? Or, and, but that would also include um, never finding Ezra again. Um, and he would basically be stranded out there. And Ahsoka has a great line saying, better that than allowing Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. Now, little thing there, heir to the Empire is the title of Timothy Zahn's first Star Wars book, or at least Star Wars book that introduced Thrawn. So, an awesome little Easter egg there for those that have read the books. Um, he wrote six books, but the first one was called Heir to the Empire. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a lovely little touch. Nice. We, we then get sort of Hera leaving, don't we? And she's um, brought along Carson, who we've seen a lot in the Mandalorian episodes. Um, with a few other X-Wing pilots, including a, a Rodian X, X-Wing pilot. I don't yeah, R.I.P. Rodian. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely some some red shirt X-Wing pilots that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit more red in their orange jumpsuits. <laughs> but I, I, I love the ships, very reminiscent of the X-Wings in, you know, in the first Star Wars film, you know, that there was lots of nice visual touches there. Also love the fact that Hera is at heart still a rebel. Just just like Han Solo, to be honest. He ended up becoming a general for the Rebel Alliance. But at heart, he was always a rebel, as in a an individual. You know, he did what he, he wanted to do. Yeah. Can we can we talk a bit about Balin? Because we get a bit more mm. of a bit more insight into his character. I think he tells Morgan that he lost faith a long time ago. Yep. And we don't quite know what happened to him to cause that. But he then comes face to face with Ahsoka and he tells her that Anakin spoke highly of you. And she sort of throws back that he never mentioned you. <laughs> I thought was was really good. But he says, one must destroy in order to create. So his whole thing is, this is a necessary thing that needs to happen. We, we're going to wipe the slate clean and, and then create something better. But this is kind of, in a way, a parallel with the whole Vader saga in that you could argue he was the chosen one because he went bad but then brought balance to the Force. Like, if you just think about the first three films, the whole idea of he had to go bad and do the things he did to restore order to the galaxy... And I think this is, I mentioned before that there's kind of parallels between Balin and Vader, certainly on a visual level. And obviously he's a peer of Vader's and he knew Anakin, or at least he knew of Anakin. So I do think there's something there that in his mind, by bringing Thrawn back and starting a war, that everything can be, as you say, wiped out and then started afresh. So there's almost and, and there is some integrity to Balin. So, you know, he offers Sabine that if she gives him the map, then 
her life will be safe and she will be reunited with Ezra. Uh, and he seems to know exactly, you know, the relationship between Sabine and Re Ezra. And when Finn force chokes Sabine, Balin tells her, don't do it. I keep my word. So, you know, there, there, there's more depth and more integrity to Balin than you would necessarily expect in, you know, a kind of villain character like him. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious to find out the sort of what the backstory is with his, his character. And, and it is great. I, I feel like he's he is a complex villain, which is, you know, helps to generate the interest in that. Um, and also he escaped Order 66. He escaped the Purge. So again, how did that happen? How did he? How did he do that? What has he been doing since? So yeah, no, I, I think there's a whole load of things that I'm hoping will come up over the episodes. Just kind of touch on a few Sabine bits towards the end. So we talked about what you know how she how she beats Shin in the end using her um, Mandalorian stinger. There's a nice shot of her Mandalorian helmet on the ground just before mm. all of that happens, which gives us a nice little reminder that. She is also a Mandalorian, but she has the opportunity to destroy the map, and she doesn't doesn't take it. And then, obviously, she she leaves with Balin. She's seeming seemingly being persuaded because he's played the Ezra Bridger card. Yeah, That's the only way that she will find out. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'm fairly convinced that she's going to come good in the end. <laughs> I mean, that would be very Disney Star Wars, but. Actually, I'd be, I'd be excited if, like, her red-coloured helmet in the titles, if she does end up becoming. I mean, it, I, I think that's probably unlikely, despite the choice she made at the end of episode four, because of her love for Ezra, and we know that he's been cut, maybe just in that hologram in episode one. But I, I agree with you. I think she'll become good, but. Like, I watched Rogue One, and initially, I didn't expect that they would all die. And I love things like that in, in any kind of films or TV shows where something completely unexpected but then completely makes sense happens. Yeah, so obviously, uh, Ahsoka then gets knocked off the cliff. Balin knocks her off the cliff and then destroys the map so nobody can't nobody can follow. Well, let's let's do a, a, the end of Ahsoka's story in this episode then, because she wakes up on a bridge, and it's quite similar to the scenes in Rebels in the Jedi Temple. There's yeah, the scene where Ezra it feels like he's walking in space. Well, it's the uh, world between worlds. That's literally what it's called. It's the world between worlds, and there are different portals to different periods of time and different events. And whether it's a a kind of weird Jedi ghost thing because obviously we've met a variety of Jedi ghosts in the past and obviously Ahsoka does in this instance but they have in others but yeah it's it's literally known as the world between worlds cool yeah and who, who does she meet there we've, I mean, we've already mentioned it but um, <laughs> Anakin mm. in a Hayden Christensen with a CGI face <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah an airbrushed face right so this led me to an interesting thought in my mind. I mean, all my thoughts are interesting, obviously, but this particularly, because it slightly blew my mind. Now, Anakin is seen by Ahsoka as 
the Anakin from before he became Darth Vader. In Return of the Jedi, Lucas changed the dying Anakin, Ian... No, Sebastian Shaw. He played um, when Luke takes the helmet off on the Death Star and he dies. Lucas changed that to put in Anakin looking like Anakin in the prequels rather than the Anakin that Luke sees when they die or when Anakin dies, Darth Vader. Obi-Wan Kenobi only ever appears as Alec Guinness. So of a certain age. And Yoda is kind of ageless. Yoda looked like Yoda over thousands of years. Like you can't even tell what age that is. But it kind of makes you think about with Force Ghosts, what determines what part of their life? Because Anna, Hayden Christian's Anakin is not, unless you you could poetically say, no, it's when Anakin died and then Darth Vader was born kind of thing. You could potentially make that argument. But what makes a force ghost, as in the vision of a force ghost? And is it how you, it obviously isn't how you last remembered them, because that would work with Ahsoka, but not with Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. And then the same with Alec Guinness as a force ghost. Yes, Luke would remember Ben as the Alec Guinness version. So, yeah, that's just kind of thrown up a huge kind of scientific kind of mind explosion in me it's interesting isn't it i mean i think maybe it is about the viewer rather than the the sort of ghosts and that's their... kind of what i'm thinking is it's how they choose to see them although i don't see in return of the jedi this is what does pull that theory down is i don't see why luke would imagine his father looking like before luke was born yeah absolutely if Dave Filoni would like to get in contact with TV DNA and at the end of this podcast, Adam will remind you of how to. Yeah, please answer that question. Clearly, Ahsoka's not, not died. It would be a very weird final four episodes if she had yeah. fallen <laughs> death off the cliff. And we're going to get that conversation in, in episode five. Just to sort of tie this all off. So Hera has arrived and Yang has filled her in and fixed the fulcrum hyperspace jump for the, the bad guys to uh, destroy some of the red shirt X-Wings. And so we're going to, clearly, I imagine we're going to have Ahsoka and Hera and Hu Yang meeting up at some point in the next couple of episodes. Yeah, I'd have thought so. I think the other thing, just to mention with Ahsoka, before she falls, is she grabs the map, throws it to the side, and then obviously Sabine grabs it, and and puts it back but before she falls she can't use that hand i can't remember whether it's the right or the left i think it's the left hand that she couldn't use so it's a good job she forgot her second lightsaber that was something that made me think why are you only fighting with one lightsaber like you, you can fight with two why what why, why have you chosen that and maybe it's just convenience for that moment but she she could only fight with one in the final moments because she'd burnt her hand and although she can use, still use, like when she throws Shin to the side, if you look closely, on her hand is like an imprint of the map. Who knows where that might lead? Yeah, I mean, this is another Raiders of the Lost Ark moment, right? It's exactly it? the same yeah. thing that happens in that with, yeah. uh, you know, with that disc. He burns his hand and then uses that later on. Yeah, it could be, could well be. I mean, it feels. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I think more so that they'll end up 
space riding the Purgles to get to Thrawn and Ezra. I mean, presumably the aim is for them to bring Thrawn back from wherever they've got him from. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But um, Yeah, I guess, yes, they have to find a way to get back again. But yeah, I do think that that, I, mean, I feel like that's, that map was so complicated. It was a little bit more complicated than the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it'd be a, <laughs> a little bit of a shame if they, they were able to recreate it based on her burnt hand. Um, well, Hee Yang is very clever. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. A professor. Yeah. <laughs> Fab. I was trying to find out what episode five's title was going to be, but I can't see it anywhere on the internet. Have you seen the trailers? For episode five? No. Yeah. So, well, actually, in this episode, in episode four, Anakin calls her Snips, which is his little nickname for her throughout the Clone Wars. Um, and I think he uses it at a later point as well. Anyway, he uses it in episode four. She used to call him Sky Guy, as in short for Skywalker, I guess. But again, there was that kind of, that relationship, the banter, I know it's a hell of a lot to watch, but if you follow Ahsoka's episodes with Anakin during the Clone Wars, there's such a relationship there. And unlike Rebels and and Ahsoka this series, where she's much more serious and distant, almost in a later on Obi-Wan way, in the Clone Wars, her relationship with Anakin and her as a, as a very kind of young Padawan you get a, a huge liking for her, which is why she's such a a loved character um, within the fandom. And that little word welcome snips by um, Ghost Anakin in The World Between Worlds really touched the heart and kind of, again, shows that it's maybe Force Ghosts are more to do with the person who is maybe that's how they're reinventing that because like i say that doesn't make sense with luke seeing a a hayden christensen at return of the jedi i think also episode five we know the dave filoni is directing so i think we're going to be in a really we're going to get a great episode i mean you know he's he's the showrunner he's the head honcho so i do think you know any series whether it be breaking bad back or soul you know, succession, any of those, when the showrunner chooses to direct an episode, you know it's going to be good. So I'm really excited about that. The trailer shows more of Anakin as a force ghost. So, yes, we'll get the continuation of that conversation in the world between worlds. We also see Thrawn, so pretty confident we will, you know, meet Lars Mikkelsen's real-life interpretation of Thorne, even though he's voiced in in the Rebels for years. And I think, but I'm not sure, because I've seen a couple of trailers, there's an image of Bo-Katan, potentially, but I'm not sure if that's a fan-put-together trailer. I I need to properly look, but we might also be getting Bo-Katan back. No hint of Ezra yet, but that's surely going to come at some point. So, yeah, I'm extremely excited about episode five. There's so much promise. Well, the other thing that I read on the internet is that episode five is getting a limited theatrical release as part of a mid-season fan celebration. So Ah. I imagine it'll be people in the States will have the opportunity to go and see it in, in a cinema, which is pretty incredible for a TV show to do. Absolutely. And also suggests it's going to be amazing. Yeah. You, you would think, if they pick that episode in particular. Yeah. 
And also, Filoni has picked that episode to direct. I mean, it's no doubt going to be absolutely awesome. I don't want to hype it too much because I don't want to be disappointed, but everything points towards it being a critical episode in, in this series. Great. Well, very much looking forward to that one then. So if you want to let us know what you think of Ahsoka or what we've said, you can contact us on the social media at TVDNAPod or email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. We have specials running at the moment on The Woman in the Wall on the BBC and we're just about to start the brilliant Top Boy, which has just released its final season on Netflix. Um, Plus we'll be dropping out some little watch list episodes along the way as well. But yeah, thank you very much for this, Neil. I'm off to go and find a hench. Well, may the force be with you then.